It's Wednesday, April 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and also from Motley Fool One, Brian White. Gentlemen, Deshaun Jackson made the best <laughs> choice possible, didn't uh. he? Oh, no. Touchy oh, subject? Man. Oh, oh, killing me. I'm just happy oh. to see him sign it off of Mario. That guy's just he's, he's <laughs> trouble, man. He's trouble. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a topic for a different podcast. Dan doesn't like that. He's shaking his head. Nah, our man behind the glass, Dan oh, Boyd. Oh, should is be happy. Diehard Redskin <laughs> fan? <laughs> should be happy. I don't know, man. Bigger ego, RG3 or Deshaun Jackson? Hi. <laughs> Two sizey ones. How's that going to work out there in DC? I don't know. We'll see. Fireworks. First things first, before we get into, you know, any actual topics for the day, <laughs> I should remind our dozens of listeners that if today's April 2nd, that means yesterday was April Fool's Day. Now, we wouldn't be able to call ourselves fools if we didn't have a bit of fun on April Fool's Day. This year's prank was Fool Coin, which Manny Koppenheffer and Chris Hill <laughs> sold like their lives depended on it yesterday. I, I know you guys didn't, uh, you might not have heard the show yesterday, but I listened. And if I hadn't known it was a prank, I would have been pretty pretty furious actually that the fool is suddenly changing its tune about these digital currencies um maddie koppenheffer kudos hats off to him uh he really sold it and chris when he's back on the show tomorrow will have plenty of emails from some of our not so delighted listeners (laughs) uh describing their feelings about how the fool has betrayed them (laughs) and turned to this digital currency do you remember when you when was the first uh Motley Fool joke, April Fool's prank mm. that you fell for. Do you remember the one that you fell for and then realized from there on out that every April 1st there's going to be So a when I was when I was getting hired actually, I was hired shortly after uh, April Fool's Day, which in itself was probably just one big joke. Uh, <laughs> but but that year I think it was the year we were going public and I remember oh, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. my my family was, you know, they knew I was applying to this job and they Emails abound. Mark, this, the, your company—they're going public. You—you got to get in on this before you get. You got to get some shares early on. We're going to be millionaires. That's right. We weren't millionaires, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> Brian, what about you? I don't remember. Actually, it's been uh, a long, long, long time uh, following the flow. I don't remember the last one that I uh, fell for. To wow. be honest, I don't. I'm not Shucks. on the spot. Shucks. Yeah, I remember the first and only one. I mean, it was the uh, 2007, maybe or something when. Hmm. Uh, I think Tom and Dave were putting the message out that they were going to pull back from the market. They're not going to buy any more stocks, not make any more recommendations because the market was in turmoil and everybody was getting really uh, bent out of shape. And so they were like, look, we're going to sit this out until things calm down. And it was just like, wait a minute. You know, you have all of these services that are geared around picking stocks and you talk about long term investing. It seems to be a, uh, you know, a little bit of a a out of context sort of move. And, And there were a lot of really, Chapped people out there. I mean, they got oh, pretty. Yeah. And, and I remember falling for it. And the next day, I thought, "Oh wow!" So that's what these guys are all about. Nice, you know. I like it. A few and years that, later, I got a job. That, <laughs> and that is what we're all about. Um, so yeah. So everyone out there, listen in tomorrow. Chris will have some. I've seen some of these emails. They're pretty darn funny. <laughs> He'll have some of the best selections from our mailbag. On the, on the topic of digital currency, we're probably not. I'd say as a company, not huge fans of Bitcoin. Um, would you guys ever go for? a Bitcoin sort of situation. If the Motley Fool did come up with its own full coin and we were started we started getting paid in full coins, would you buy into that? Personally, I no. Um <laughs> I think uh you know when I I look at Bitcoin and all of the other digital currencies that are out there, because it's not the only one. I mean, I think you could Google digital currency and see like the top 30 or 50 names up there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's almost like, 
I mean, I don't know that they're like a problem in search of a solution. Like it's not it's not like it's trying to solve a problem. Um, so I'm not sure why they necessarily exist. I mean, now with that said, I, I do give uh, Bitcoin at least credit for overcoming the hurdles of of becoming a medium of exchange. I mean, more and more places are accepting it. Mm. Uh, but the scary part about Bitcoin is just it's a store of value. I mean, if you're going to put your dollars into into Bitcoin in, in you know give it some sort of unlimited timeline, you just as a store of value, you're complete. It's just a total speculation. Right. So you you could certainly get hurt that way. So for me, I, I just don't see any reason for it. Well, Brian, there's some pretty you know smart guys out there. Mark Andreessen is one of them that that certainly are in fact. Fa- Certainly are huge fans of this Bitcoin. Someday we all might own Bitcoin. For me, I just don't know enough about it to even really speak intelligently about it, you know, and that's right. probably more of a reflection of the time I've spent looking into it than anything else, but it just, you know, seems a little too speculative right now for me. Understandable. All right. Uh, looking around the market today, uh, it's a pretty light day in the news. You know what we should do? We should have ourselves a round of overvalued, undervalued. What do you guys say? I say that's a good idea. All right, shifting through the market muck, guys. Are there any companies out there you're looking at right now that you consider to be undervalued? I'll start. Go for it. I'll go with a company that's been um, in fooldom for a long, long time. Portfolio Recovery Associates. Hmm. Um, this, these guys are debt collectors. They uh, right now they traded about little under 15 times next year's expected earnings. Um, the interesting thing about portfolio recovery is they have a really, really, really long track record um, <clears throat> of just excellent, they're just an excellent operator, um, both on the purchasing of debt side and also on the collecting side. Um, hmm. They're, you know, they're, They've been pro- they're proven. Let's put it that way. Their performance coming out of the downturn, the financial mm-hmm. crisis, was amazing. Right at the time where <clears throat> everybody called them into question, you know, because they were debt collectors, and here we go, here we are in the U.S. where consumers' uh, uh, credit had just deteriorated. So everyone sold off portfolio recovery, which you know sort of made sense on the outside. So anyhow, they're really well proven and they just acquired a really just made a huge acquisition out in Western Europe and when you look at that business out in Europe that they acquired, there's a ton of efficiency they can add their systems uh into that business and then looking at it, you know, under 15 times earnings, it's pretty amazing to see that opportunity out there hmm. in this market and I think it's there because it's it's not a company that uh is very um well followed and or understood. So it's one of those kind of under the radar companies that's cheap right now. I absolutely have to admit that I have never heard of this company before. <laughs> <laughs> it's been in hidden gems for a really, 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 really long time. Yeah, uh-huh. but I mean, it's 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 you know, it's not a sexy story whatsoever. We're talking right. debt collection, so right. Okay, uh, the first. Uh, so I googled the company as you were yeah. talking. By the way, one of the first headlines was about how uh, investors are betting against Portfolio Recovery Associates, and that twenty something like twenty percent of the float is sold short. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. What would you say to those short sellers? Well, I would say look back at oh eight oh nine. If this mm-hmm. co- if this company was going to go under, if this company was going to struggle massively, there could there wasn't a better environment for for this company to struggle than oh eight oh nine two thousand and ten, mm-hmm. and that's probably when they performed the best. <laughs> so. It's uh, I, I would question how the short sellers, you know, how deep have you looked at this company? Hmm. Gotcha. All right, Jason. Uh, so yeah, I guess I'll qualify this. I don't know that I would say it's screamingly undervalued. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's a buy today. I called it a buy the other day. Uh, is Lululemon? Hmm. And hey. you know, I mean, I feel like this is you know. So I gave I've 
I've been one to give Lululemon really a hard time for a long time. Yeah, you have. I remember um, a stock of the day a while back that we did together. Yeah, and you were just you were yeah. railing on. Well, Lululemon. one of my big problems was that it was it was always basically valued more than Under Armour. Huh. I, I just couldn't come to to grips with that because. You know, Under Armour has always had this. It's just significantly larger market opportunity. Um, so Lululemon, the, the two hangups I've always had with Lululemon was leadership um, and and price. I just always felt it was very expensive. Now, I'll, both of those uh, you know concerns have have uh, you know come come back to reality here a little, a little bit at least. Um, you know, founder Chip Wilson, he's he's the guy just can't. Shut up! You know he says a lot of really <laughs> stupid things. No, and and so no. he has obviously a reputation for doing that. Mm. Um, he is no longer really involved with the business. His his that threat has more or less been mitigated. Mm. He's stepped down from the board uh, and, and doesn't have an executive role with the company at all. So that's encouraging. He still owns a number of, of uh, shares, but but again, I think that he's he's essentially been mitigated. Christine Day stepped down, and the new CEO Laurent Potdevin is in. Um, he has a strong retail background, and, and so I'm encouraged uh, by his by his early moves here. They're looking to really take Lululemon to kind of the next level and open up that market opportunity beyond just being sort of a yoga pants for women brand. Hmm. Uh, they're going to be moving into more athletic apparel, athletic apparel uh, for men, hmm. uh, kids, so forth. So I, I think that they're looking at this the right way. They see this total athletic apparel market opportunity and, and want to try to take advantage of it. And they have a powerful brand that can do that. Um, and you know, the stock today is priced at about 28 times full year 2014 estimates. Now, again, I'm not saying that's a screaming bargain, but it's certainly cheaper uh, than it has been historically. And I think that a lot of times when you have brands like these, you have brands like Nike, for example, that's done such a great job through the years, I think Under Armour is on the way to developing that same type of brand. And I think Lululemon has that potential. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, when you, when you couple that together with a, you have a very healthy balance sheet, $700 million in cash with no debt, uh, you know, I, I just don't see any reason for this stock to be trading at fifty-two, fifty-three dollars today. Because when you look uh, three to five years out, I mean, if management is able to execute, then I mean, I think that this is, I think you're going to see fifteen percent annualized returns here, basically uh, turning the stock into a double in five years or less. Wow! So. All right, uh, that's a that's a big turnaround from what you used to say. Um, yeah. Under Armour versus Lululemon right now. Well, I I own Under Armour shares. I do not own Lululemon shares. Uh, I I would still tip the cap to Under Armour. That's what I personally do not. And so one of my so the the sniff (laughs) test is always like you know I'll ask my wife about Lululemon because I always see the the gap. You know they have that store Athleta, Mm -hmm. and we have those Athleta catalogs all over the house. And Athleta's not cheap either. I mean. But I asked, like, you know, is is Lululemon something that's like really all that great? And in no, she doesn't own any Lululemon gear, but she does admit that it's good stuff, and she uh, has has eyed shopping there before. So uh, I, I got to believe that's probably in the future. Now I, I can't fathom that I would ever be uh, wearing any Lululemon yoga pants, uh, other than How maybe for like an April. Dare Tuesday you? Drink. Come but, on. Uh, the cheapest one I've got, I pulled up Lululemon's uh, men on uh, online their shop. Uh, the cheapest is an eighty-eight dollar pair of pants for the gym for men. Nice. Did you guys pay $88 for some gym pants? Probably not. Probably not. I did pay $79 for some new Under Armour slacks that I got the other day. Whoa. And I got to say, they're probably the sweetest slacks I've ever gotten. They're <laughs> Sweet really nice, slacks, though. bro. Sweet uh, slacks. And, hey, free shipping, you know. Yeah, got to love it. Well, that's the other thing about uh, about Lululemon. You know, 4% of 
uh, sales back in 2009 came from their e-commerce division versus 17% today. Mm-hmm. So they're reaching out to customers on their own terms, offering those things like free shipping that, that customers are really focused on. So I think that they are uh, recognizing and changing retail landscape and, and being a part of, of that change. All right. Definitely something to watch for. Okay. Let's look at the other side of the coin. What out there looks overvalued to you? Brian. This is easy. <laughs> <laughs> throw something under the bus. Um, I'm not going to throw this company under the bus because I actually want to own it in my portfolio, but mm-hmm. I'm going to say Twitter. Twitter. Um, at about 40 times sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use the app. I love it. It's ingrained, integrated into part of my life, right? Mm-hmm. It's how I get my news. It's, you know, I do maybe 60, 70% of my search on Twitter, believe it or not. Hmm. Um, really? What do you, what do you, what are you looking for on Twitter? It's just well, anything, news, any, yeah. Stock any, tips. Stock yeah, tips. Yeah. Anything, anything that, uh, is current. So anything that you're looking for the story or the information right away, something that just broke, mm-hmm. Google's not going to do it for you. Maybe you got to wait like six, seven, eight hours to get a news story on something like that where you can go to Twitter right away. Hmm. And uh, there's a lot of noise on Twitter, but if you follow uh, some decent people, it, you're going to get you're going to get the story. You know, maybe half a day before you're going to get it if you're looking on Google. Anyway, right. long story short, I think Twitter has a long ways to go in terms of uh, its business model. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very valuable company, but I think you know after the IPO, there's just a lot of emotion in the stock, both upwards and now we see downwards. But I still think it has a little ways to go before I get interested. So I'd call it a little overvalued right now. It's still in its first year as a public company. It's no surprise um, that you know it's still trading. I think above its. IPO price, but uh, so I'd wait on that one. But but it's certainly something I want to own in my portfolio. Do you think Twitter's uh, position as a platform for free speech? Yeah. The, yeah. So I, I yeah. just I just looked up Twitter again. I'm just googling things yeah. as you guys are saying. Yeah. The first headline is Turkey has banned Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and Twitter is still not in China. It's still not in several countries yeah. out there. Is that are those room? Is that does that give Twitter room to expand eventually, and that's a bullish reason to be interested in Twitter? Or are those countries just never going to open up to Twitter, and that's why you should stay away? Well, I wouldn't say that. I'd say each country is going to approach this thing you know, a different way. If you look at Japan, if, you know, they're heavily used in Japan, heavily used in the Middle East, uh, in some of the countries in the Middle East. Uh, Country by country, China's not a surprise, right? They kind of have their own versions anyway of, right. of Twitter, so it's not a surprise that they're not that, that they're not really used in China. Um, country by country, their international story is more interesting, I think, than their U.S. story. If you really look into Twitter and you look at the uh, the engagement in some of the uh, international countries, Japan being one of them, uh, it's a really interesting interesting story. They're already um, an international global story, hmm. and I think it grows from here. Hmm. Jason. I've always felt like the, I've always felt like when you see those headlines like Turkey bans Twitter mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, to me, like I love to see that. Like, I mean, I own Twitter shares now, and it's. I mean, I've been very you know upfront about saying I think it's a stock that's worth buying in stages over the course of the coming years because there will be opportunities. You know, Brian speaking to the price today, I, I'm I'd be willing to bet money that the price will go lower <laughs> and yeah. there will be some better opportunities to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, that when you see those kinds of headlines, that validates the power of this platform. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think people. Um, oftentimes are misguided when they are comparing it to Facebook because they're truly two different concepts and they both coexist quite nicely. Um, Twitter is a communication platform. And like Brian was saying, you can cater it to your specific uh, desires, your specific needs, what what kind of communication you're looking for. Uh, yesterday, I think it was a great example. Tiger Woods, you know, he, he uh, 
announced that he is is withdrawing from the Masters this year. That's big really? news in the golfing world, obviously. Mm. And and the way he communicated that was Twitter. Hmm. I mean, he tweeted that out, and and so immediately, like everybody who follows him gets it. They retweet it, and the word spreads and almost minutes. instantly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and you know, I like I as as a, an experiment, like I went and looked at his Facebook page. There was nothing about this. Like mm-hmm. there was no announcement, no cut. And, and you're not going to get a Google article no. about it for and, hours. And so, now. yeah, I think Brian's point there to the power of search uh, on Twitter's platform is also is also very significant. So, a lot of reasons to like like the business, but certainly you have to be able to stretch your investing timeline out to I think ten years or, or longer. Yeah, I think this one. I, I think the thing that I, that I'm kind of sitting on my hands with Twitter is I just don't know the earnings power of this business. A lot of these business, like Facebook, can do over fifty percent operating margin. What what's the potential for this business? You know, and I think the leadership is one of the one of the question marks with Twitter. I'm not questioning leadership, but I'm wondering what this business model looks like as it matures in terms of its profitability. Are we talking 20, 25% operating margins? Or are we talking about a business that can do close, you know, closer to a Facebook's 50% operating margins? That's yeah. kind of, that. there's some uncertainty around that, and it's a Absolutely. big gap, right, between the 20s and the 30s, and can you push it into the 40s and potentially the 50s? So it's a huge gap. Brian, what's your Twitter handle? Oh, I can't say. <laughs> he doesn't want to disclose. That's prior for the best. The problem no, is I have that a, you can search I, I Brian White, you'll find I have a, sport, find I have a sports-related okay. account, that is, so it's like number one Knicks fan. Ah, so it's not really a yeah. Not there's a, not a, not a there's TMS, not a lot of TMS. good long term you know stock people to follow <laughs> on Twitter right now. Okay. There's certainly a lot of traders out there you could follow. So mm-hmm. my I, I do I use it for sports primarily. The nice. great thing to look at here. I mean, if you everybody talks about Twitter and they say, well, if you don't tweet, then you're not an active user. I don't I, tweet. I think you're much a great at example. All. You don't yeah. tweet much. No, but I find a tremendous. You're a very value. active user because you, yep. you you look at it. Your timeline views are there. So yep. I I think that's you know another interesting sort of perspective on the company. Absolutely. All right, Jason, what is your overvalued stock? Um, so like Brian, I'm not throwing the business under the bus. I do like the business. The stock price is a bit too rich for my liking today. Hmm. Zillow. Hmm. Uh, you know, we were lucky enough to uh, interview Spencer Raskoff a couple of quarters ago for uh, the company's earnings announcement. So Matty Argersinger and I got to do a lot of research in the company before and after. It was a lot of fun. Learned a lot about the business, and really, I, I do like what they do. Uh, you look at this company, the pros. I mean, they grow on the top line just at a phenomenal rate over the past five years. Seventy-eight uh, percent compound annual growth rate is not you know it's nothing to sneeze at. Mm-hmm. Uh, continue to grow their premier agent subscriptions. Uh, getting into the rental market, I think that's really encouraging because that's just a tremendous opportunity. They have a healthy balance sheet. I, I like leadership there. I think that they're doing a lot of the right things. Uh, the the hang up for me though is the valuation in the company. Uh, right now, like you can't really look at it from a PE perspective because the earnings are lumpy and, and they're taking losses. But when you look at it from a cash flow perspective, I mean, it's trading at 116 times operating cash flow, which is just it's just a number, Jay. <laughs> really rich. <laughs> but uh, you know that that to me is right. Just say okay, you, you've got an already frothy market, and the reason why the market's frothy is because a lot of these growth names are seeing a lot of buying, and Zillow's one of them, no question. Mm. Uh, but but also with Zillow, there is a Pepsi to Zillow's Coke, hmm. right? So, I mean, it's not like Zillow just owns this market flat out. I mean, Trulia and Redfin are out there. They're competitors. They've got Zillow's, Zillow in their sights, and so they're, they're, they're going to compete for that market. And, uh, and so, 
you know, when I when I look at that, it for me, I, I need to have a bit a bit more of a cushion to buy into the stock. And today, it's just way out of my range. Would you guys use Zillow or Trulia or one of those platforms to buy your next home? Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, man, we actually... I mean, you're going to use a realtor at the end of the day, but right. to do your research, absolutely. Yeah, I think the research side of it is <clears throat> is really um, where it pays off. Like, I mean, we recently bought a home down on the, the Rappahannock River, hmm. and a lot of the research was done through not only Zillow, but, uh, you know, Trulia and other other sites like Redfin. I think, what is it, Realtor.com as well, I think is another. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zip Realty. You know, Realty. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of competition out there. It's not It's not like this is just a space that Zillow's going to own, mm-hmm. uh, but but they are helping to, to sort of redefine that real estate uh, you know, space. And, uh, you know, again, like the business, just the valuation is a lot of control for me. All right. Plenty to watch for in the market. Guys, thanks for being here. Jason Moser, Brian White, always a pleasure. Thanks, thanks Mark. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by the incredibly swole Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.